Well, good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be with you all. I want to thank uh, Joel and Carrie for leading us. Thanks, John, for your prayer. Thanks, Rebecca, for sharing. Sure love that woman. And it's good to be back. We were uh, away for a couple weeks on vacation visiting my family in Prince George, and we had a wonderful time there. And I just appreciate the time spent with them. And God has blessed me with such a wonderful family that I actually get to enjoy being with them. I know that's not all families, but it's a blessing for us. And I was so encouraged by Lee and by Hayden preaching while I was gone. They did a wonderful job, didn't they? They did. That was incredibly encouraging to hear them preaching. And it was it was a, quite a, a hand of God, actually, in preparing all that. I remember talking to them and approaching Lee about the possibility of preaching for his first time here and asked him to start contemplating what he th thought God was leading him to pray. And um, who remembers the theme that Lee preached on? It was the temple, right? He, he wanted to look at the temple. And then I came to Hayden and I said, well, where do you feel God has been leading you to preach? And, and Hayden says, well, I've been really contemplating and wrestling with what does unity in the church look like? And so we, we all got to gather together and sat down and we started just walking through all these scriptures. And lo and behold, the image and theme of temple has so much to do with the unity and calling of the church. And so after a while, we began to create this mini series out of it. And so if you remember that Lee, he began to look at the theme of temple, the temple of Israel and its purpose and who remembers what the temple symbolized from creation? The Garden. Garden of Eden, right? And so Lee began to look at the temple symbolizing the Garden of Eden. And so it was this place where heaven and earth come together, where the presence of God was manifest. And so God's vision for the temple was to display almost this mini garden of Eden, a place that visualized God's desire to dwell with his people and rule creation through them. And so this temple was literally a place where heaven and earth met just like the garden of Eden. And so this is what Lee began to discuss. And then he moved on to the problem. What was lost in the garden of Eden? What happened that destroyed all of God's plans for heaven and earth to interlap? The fall of man, the rebellion of humanity, right? And so he began to look at the concept of sin and how sin distances us from the presence of a holy God. And it, it destroys and estranges our relationship, not just with God, but with each other and even creation itself. And so we as humans now have these fractured relationships with God, with others, and with creation. And, and sadly, when we read throughout history... Even though God gifts his holy presence through the tabernacle and the temple, people still continue to rebel against God. They dishonor the temple. They do not treat God as holy. And the temple is no longer an image of heaven and earth overlapping. But humans have turned it into a place of injustice and exclusion and greed. And so what did humanity need? We needed God to come and do what? We needed God to come and be the temple himself. Amen? And we jump into the story of Jesus and Jesus comes and Jesus comes to reconcile all things, to bring heaven and earth together. 
And the beautiful thing that the Gospel of John starts with is it says that the Word became flesh and did what? And dwell. And I'm pretty sure Leeds said this too, but who remembers what that literal translation of dwelt is? Tabernacled, right? He literally set up a tent. In other words, that Jesus comes and he fulfills the purpose of the tabernacle to bring the presence of God to humanity. And so Jesus comes as the ultimate reality to which the temple pointed. And even he himself said that I am the one who is greater than the temple. So that's where Lee went. Now, Hayden, after Lee's sermon, he went this direction. He followed the theme of the temple, and he began to look at Scripture through the lens of the church as the temple of the Holy Spirit, where now that Christ is the cornerstone, the church is built in Christ, becoming the very temple of the Holy Spirit. And Peter, in his language, he called Jesus' people as living stones who are built up as a spiritual what? Spiritual, I'm going to be saying temple a lot, so if you just say temple, you're probably right. <laughs> built up into a spiritual temple, temple right? This, this is the image that Peter gives of the church, a holy priesthood, right? And so now... Part of the mission of the church then, part is the people of God united to Christ. Part of our role and responsibility as Jesus followers is to be these mini temples. Who here has ever thought of himself as a mini temple before? Yeah, e even right now, as we're gathered as the church, we are literally functioning as a mini temple. This is a place where God's presence is with us, where God is dwelling among us, where God has made himself manifest among us as the church. And so this is how God's presence with the church transforming and renews the world around us. And so now we as the church, we have this calling not just to pray God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, but we have this calling to actually show the world what that looks like. Amen? That's part of our mission. That's part of why we exist. That's part of what we are called to do. And so what I want to do for the purpose of this morning is I want to finish this theme of temple in the scripture. And so the theme again is the Garden of Eden. Then we have the tabernacle. Then we have the temple. Then we have Jesus as the temple. We have the church as the temple. And what I want to look at the, this morning is, well, what does the future say about the temple? What is the future concept of temple? What does the temple even have to do with our future? And so can anyone guess what book of the Bible I'm going to be reading from today? Revelation, right? Phil's waving in the back. I know, I know, right? We're going to be looking at the concept of temple in the future. What does it have to do with us? What does the temple have to do with our future? Now, first of all, who here knows what the future holds? Anyone? Now, that's sort of a trick question. Because in some senses, we do as the church. Okay. In some senses, we do as know what the future holds as the church because God has revealed to us his plan to redeem and reconcile all of creation. And so we, we have to think about this. Now, theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard, anyone ever hear Dallas Willard? We got a bunch of his books in our libraries. Phenomenal writer if you want to read him. 
But he says this. He says, we humans think about the future as naturally as we breathe. Who here, even though you may not think you know the future, who spends a lot of time thinking about the future? Right? <laughs> we all do. It's, it's part of our instinctive nature. And then he says this. He says, even those who say the universe popped into existence, in other words, atheists or agnostics, he says, even those who say the universe popped into existence out of nothing do not think it will pop into nothing out of existence. In other words, every human being, no matter what your worldview is, every human being has a concept or an understanding of what the future holds. All of us have some picture of what the future holds. So the question that confronts us is what is our understanding of the future. Now, my favorite movie genres are post-apocalyptic and sci-fi. Anyone share that passion with me? <laughs> I, I find them fascinating movie genres or even TV genres because what they do is basically put on a mental exercise experimenting and trying to understand or create a picture of what the future might look like. And in our culture, in movies and televisions, we basically have two threads of what our future could be. We're either all living in space pods or spaceships, or we're all getting attacked by a zombie apocalypse, right? <laughs> That's really the only two options our, our entertainment media has given about the future. And, and really what this teaches us, though, is our, our picture of the future actually shapes the way we live in our, the present. It really does shape the way we live in our present. I mean, how many billionaires just got sent off to space these last couple of weeks, right? They're, they're literally moving in that direction. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this man, Bruce Beach. Anyone heard of him? Uh, last week, he passed away at the age of 87 years old. And what he was known for in Canada is he created what is called the ARC-2. The ARC-2 was basically this fallout bunker shelter where he spent the majority of his life preparing for a nuclear war and everyone having to move underground. And so this man literally spent the majority of his life preparing for a post-apocalyptic event that would end the world. He buried 42 school buses in the ground and began to develop the school uh, survival shelter. And what I find fascinating is he spent the majority of his life living and planning and preparing for something that never happened. And it, it's, it's sad in the sense that if there was any year that he thought this might be coming true, it was probably this last year too, wasn't it? <laughs> And then he, he saw it didn't happen and he passed away. But he is a prime example of how what we believe about the future changes the way we live in the present. And again, the human mind, we all have a picture of the future. And the question is, what is the future that we envision? Because it's going to drive our lives far more than we realize. If you believe the world is going to end in a nuclear war, what do you spend your time building? Shelter. A fallout shelter, just like this beach guy, right? If you believe the world is just moving into non-existence, then nothing you do matters, and you just do your best to overcome depression in this life. 
Uh, if you believe the world is getting better and better and that we as humans are creating this utopia, you're probably going to find your life struggling to do what you think is right and constantly being disappointed by humanity, right? And, and obviously what we see a bunch of lately is billionaires who see this world absolutely falling apart and they're just trying to escape off to Mars, right? That's the future they envision. But our picture of the future automatically changes the way we live in the present. And so how do we understand the future then from the lens of temple? Well, we thank God for the book of Revelation because it, in it, it actually has a picture of what the future looks like. And it's reliable, it's trustworthy because it's a description and a vision that actually comes from the heart and mind of our very creator. And so I'm just going to get you guys to turn to your Bible to Revelation 21. I'm going to read the first few verses, but I'm actually going to focus in verse 22. We'll get there in a second. But let's just read that first section of Revelation 21. This is the picture of the future that God gives us. And so all of you can go away from here saying, hey, actually I do have a picture for the future. This is the word of the Lord. The vision that comes to John, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Sea just rep uh, represented chaos in that culture, so the chaos of the world was done, in other words. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Again, who's the language of bride in scripture? Who's the bride? The Christ, or the church. The church is the bride of Christ, right? A bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place. What language does that bring up? Again, what does John say? What does Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us? What is the language of? Tabernacle and temple, right? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Who longs for that day? Amen? That is what our future is as the people of God. And what we wait for, what we're longing for, is what the scripture calls a new creation. And a new creation represents the future that we are looking forward to. And it's the fulfillment and the perfect ending of God's plan, the final chapter of the story, so to say, that leads us into all of eternity. And this is the beginning of an existence without evil, this is the beginning of an existence where every consequence of human sin is going to be reversed. There's going to be no sin, no sickness, no pain, no tears, no sorrow. This is what God has planned for the future. And, and all the things that were fractured from the rebellion of man, the way that we fractured our relationship with God, the way we fractured our relationship with each other, the way we fractured our relationship with creation itself, all of that is going to be redeemed and restored in the new creation. And the earth is going to be 
complete wholeness and beauty and humanity will be perfectly joyful and perfectly fulfilled in God. That is the future we have for us. Amen? Now, here's the wild thing. And this is where I'm going to bring it back to Lee and Hayden. Because we can read through 20, uh, chapter 21 of Revelation and get all this beautiful insight of what this means. But what I want to focus on today is verse 22. Because John begins to talk a lot of, about a lot of things that aren't going to be there. He talks about how there's going to be no more sea. He's, he talks about how there's going to be no more attributes of ungodliness. He talks about how there's going to be more, no more sin and death and all these things. But John says something that's not going to be there. That for a first century Jewish reader would have absolutely shocked them. And he says this. Revelation 20. 122. John says, and I saw no what? I saw no temple. What's going on here? I saw no temple. Again, for a, a Jewish audience reading this from John, the temple represented the presence of God. The, the temple represented God's desire to be with his people. The, the temple represented heaven and earth overlapping. And all of them would be thinking, this is the end of the story. Is the, the temple finally coming back into existence? And yet John says, wait a second. There's actually going to be no temple. He says this, for it, that's temple... And the new creation, its temple is who? The Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Jesus Christ is the Lamb. And so here is this radical statement that John is making. So what's going on here? John is basically saying there's no temple in the new creation because God's dwelling place is not in some separate space within the city. And again, even in the temple, where was the presence, the shine of kind of glory of God in the temple? What was it called? The Holy of Holies, right? Where God's holy presence, and Lee described this in great detail. He did a great job on this. But what John is saying is that there's no temple because God's dwelling place is not some separate space within the city. God's dwelling place is now everywhere. Amen? And we see this throughout the Old Testament too, even the book of Haggai, which I preached a few years ago. Uh, Haggai says, the latter glory of this house, referring to the temple, will be greater than the former. Now, why do you think when they rebuilt the temple after it was first destroyed, what were all the people doing about the second temple? They were all complaining. They were saying, this isn't as good as it was. This is a mockery of God's presence, right? And then that temple gets destroyed too when Jesus says it's going gonna, it's gonna to be crumbled. And we see this in AD 70, the temple was destroyed. And, and Jesus says, I am coming as the temple. Jesus is the greater temple. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, also brought this up in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He says this, he says, they will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and it will not come to mind, nor will they remember it, nor will they miss it, nor will it be made again. At time, at that time, they will call Jerusalem 
the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord in Jerusalem. And so what was the Ark of the Covenant? Where was that again? That was sort of the mobile presence of God in the, the tabernacle, right? It was, it was located in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And, and basically what Jeremiah prophesies is there's coming a day where the Ark of the Covenant means nothing. It's not relevant anymore. It, it's not important for the presence of God. Now, what I find fascinating as a young child, I had the Indiana Jones series come out. Who remembers Indiana Jones, right? And who remembers one of the, the movies was called The Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? And this whole Indiana Jones movie was based around finding and discovery where this lost ark was, right? And, and even historically today, there's speculations about where the ark is physically located and, and, and all this um, desire, so to say, to figure out where this ark is. And yet, what Scripture teaches us, does any of that matter? No. I mean, it would be cool to find a historical artifact, but now we have the blessing of Jesus as the temple, the presence of God among us, and we see that's even expanding in the future. Now, let, let me bring out another key aspect that John reveals about the temple here. In, in Revelation 21, verses 16 to 17, it makes a little bit more sense why there's no temple. Uh, let me just read it here for us. It says, the city, talking about the New Jerusalem, lies foursquare. Its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits wide, by human measurement, which is also an angel measurement. Now, here is he's given this description of the New Jerusalem. And again, who was the new uh, the city of Jerusalem back in the beginning of chapter 21? The bride, right? Who is the bride? The church, right? And so now we see this picture of the people of God. Now, we have all these numbers, and these numbers can confuse us at times. But what we see is important numbers are 12,000 and 144. Okay? Now... The, the significance of the number 12 in Scripture. What are some, some significant numbers 12 in Scripture? The 12 tribes of Israel, and in the New Testament, the 12 disciples, right? And now what's a thousand in Scripture? What does that mean? That just basically means a wholeness, a completeness, metaphorically and symbolically. And so what we are getting here is John is setting up this picture of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples. In other words, this is the period of all of history of God's people times a thousand. In other words, God's people throughout all of time. And so it's referring to that. But, but here's the important part. What John measures out for the city, and when we put all these numbers together, what we realize is that it makes a cube. Now, we didn't talk about this, but this is a very important part. A cube in the temple was what part? It was the, anyone know? The Holy of Holies was shaped like a cube. And so for, for, for us, a cube isn't that significant. I mean, we probably just, our mind goes to a Rubik's cube. But for a Jew, 
When they saw a cube or heard of a cube, their minds would automatically go to the Holy of Holies in the temple, the inner sanctuary of the temple. And what John is saying here is that the most sacred space in all of the universe that you have known, the Holies of Holies in the temple, the place where God chose to dwell among his people in all of his glory, he says, now in the new heavens and the new earth, God's presence is everywhere. Amen? That's the future we long for. That's, that's the future that is set before us of God's holy, glorious presence everywhere. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? Now, here's the question then. Why does this matter for us today? Again, our picture of the future automatically changes what? It changes the way we live in the presence of now, And so how does this vision of the future change us and give us a concept of what we are called to do and be as the church? Well, the vision of the future actually has everything to do with how we view the mission of the church here and now. Let me read this to you. This is written by a guy named Greg Beal, who's a biblical scholar, and I really appreciate his writing. He actually has a phenomenal book on the temple, if any of you want to explore this more. But he says this. This is a quote from him. He says, We as God's people have already begun to be God's temple. Amen? We got that theme. Aiden preached on it last week. We began to be God's temple where his presence is manifested to the world. And we are to extend the boundaries of the temple until Christ returns when finally they will be expanded worldwide. Do you see what he's describing as the mission and part of our task as the church? Is that if the future reality and the future and all of history is moving towards is God's glorious presence everywhere... And we as the church are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. Then our role and responsibility as the people of God is to be spreading the glory of God and the presence of God everywhere, isn't it? If that's where the future is going, that's our calling and task to be living for now. And so we as the church have this mission to share the presence of God with others until the end of the age when God will cause the task to be finally completed and the whole earth will be under the roof of God's temple, which is another way of saying that God's presence will fill the earth in a way that it has never done before. And so we, has, we as the church have this mission before us. And even First Peter, he describes this. Hayden brought this up, but I'm going to expand it a little bit. Uh, Peter says this. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. What's Peter talking about that? The church is the temple, right? Remember, that's the go-to word every time. The church is the temple. And then he says to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, but you are a chosen race. Talking about the church, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that, here's the key part, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. And what's this image here? It's this image that the presence of God, the glory of God, shines like this massive light over all of creation. Another fascinating thing that John says here is that in the new creation, there's going to be no more need for the sun and the moon. Not that there won't be one, but there's going to be no need for it. Why? Because the glory of God is going to be shining over all of creation, right? And so this, this mission then of the church, of us as the people of God, as many temples, so to say, we have this calling and priority and purpose to be expanding the presence and the glory of God everywhere, especially here. We, we, we are called to proclaim, called to display the glory of God individually in our own lives. We're called to display it among our church. We're called to display it in our community. We're called to display it in our nation, around the world. This is the calling of the people of God. And, and what's pretty beautiful to me, um, I don't have a visual for this, but something that you could do even at your own homes is go to like Google Map or something. And a neat thing to do is just type in churches in a city or something like that, or even in a province or in a nation. And what you see is just a lot of little dots, right? And to me, it's this beautiful visual of all these mini temples spread across the world. And it's this beautiful picture of, of Christ's light displaying in the darkness of the world around us. And we have to remind ourselves and remember that we have this calling to be this display of light in our community. We need to display the presence of God. Now, how does this happen in a practical sense? There's many ways that I could address this practically. But think about this. How in the Garden of Eden did Adam and the first humans experience God's presence? Does anyone remember? They walked with him. They trusted him. They were obedient to him. And yet, what cast them away from God's presence? It was sin. It was rebellion. It was doing life on their own terms. And so we as a church, we as a people, if we want to be people who display the light and glory of God, which is one day going to be displayed through creation like it never has before, if that's what we're moving towards, then we always have to keep in mind that we need to be confessing sin, that we need to be letting go of our rebellious ways to live without God, that we need to be submitting and trusting and living in obedience to God because God's presence grows in us when we know his word, when we obey his word, and when we spread that presence to others by living our lives faithfully in the world. And so the mission of the church then, in light of the future that God has laid before us, is to be this expanding witness to the presence of God, first to our families, then to the church, then to our neighborhood, then to the country, and ultimately the whole earth. Amen? And this Saturday, we actually have quite a beautiful opportunity to do that. Um, we're going to have a block party this Saturday night. Who's excited for that? Who's planning on being there? Amen. Now, 
Here's the reality, though. We are literally bringing the community to our doorstep of our physical church building. And yet we, as a church, have a role and responsibility to be a light to the darkness. And literally, as we gather together with our community, we have that opportunity. We have the opportunity to bless and to love and to show grace and mercy and to show support and to show care and to be a sign of the physical presence of the glory of God. Are we going to do that, church? Amen. Are you excited to do that? Yeah. This is the calling we have. And so let me just pray to that extent. And this, this finishes the story and theme of temple. It's much more could be said on this theme. It's such a beautiful theme in, in scripture. But just remember that the concept of the Eden, tabernacle, temple, Jesus, Christ, and then no temple in the new creation. All of it has to do with God's desire to dwell among his people. That's what God wants from us. That's what God wants from you. He wants to be a God who is with you. But for a holy God to be in your midst. We must confess, we must step away from a rebellion, and we must welcome his holiness among us. And in doing so, we function as many temples of the Holy Spirit spread throughout the world so the presence and glory of God can expand through all of creation. That's what our future is. That's what we live for here and now in light of it. Let me pray to that extent. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are a God who did not give up on us. Lord, we read the story of the Garden of Eden and so easily you could have turned your back on us. We read the story of history of the Israelites and so easily you could have turned your back on them. And we look at our own lives here and now and we see our sin and perfection and you as a holy God so easily could turn your back on us here and now. And yet you are a God who desired to dwell among your people. And you literally took up residence. You tabernacled among us. You dwelt among us so that even in your holiness, we could have a glimpse of experience in your presence. And Lord, as we look to the future before us, Lord, we, we know glimpses of the future. We know pictures of the future. You have shown us what the new creation will be. And Lord, I pray that as your glory and presence will fill this world and fill this creation like it never has before, that we as your people would live in light of that. And that we would truly be the presence of you here in this world. And that as we pray for your kingdom to come on earth that is in heaven, Lord, may we be visible signs. May we be a visible display of what that truly looks like in our community. And so send us on this mission of experiencing your presence. Send us on this mission of displaying your presence so that your name could be glorified among us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.